Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode number 26, which is titled, The Real Me. What I want to accomplish in this episode is simply to give my listeners an in-depth background on where I came from and how I got to be where I am today. And at the end of this episode, I truly want to leave you with an important message that I hope will help my listeners drive some positive changes in their own life. Now, I have been working on this podcast for, I think it's, I think it's about a year now. And as you can imagine, there was, there was a bit of a learning curve in the beginning. And it took me several months to get the podcast off the ground to get it published, and for me to actually start producing content on a regular basis. So the podcast has been live for, I think, about seven months now. And I also have a companion blog that's called Off-Grid Living News, which is geared toward giving people all the tools and skills needed to live off the grid. And that blog has been live for, I think, about three years now. If there is any one thing that I've learned in working on the blog and on the podcast, it's that people appreciate hearing from someone who actually has the background experience. People enjoy and perhaps even trust in a person who has actually been there, done that sort of thing. But for me as a blogger and a podcaster, As you can likely imagine, I'm constantly reading articles and researching topics on living off the grid and on sustainability. But I do this not only to produce original, in-depth, and value-added content, but also because I want to find out more about other people's experiences. This helps me when I am producing content to at least give a broader view of the topic and not just what is limited to my own personal experience. But I do have to tell you in all the articles and the research that I do, it has become so easy for me to tell if a person who wrote the article is producing that bit of content based on personal experience or just simply from doing their own research. So the point of this episode is to simply give my listeners a deeper perspective on who I am, where I came from, and how I actually live on a day-to-day basis. I, I got to the point where I thought perhaps it was about time I did something like this so that my listeners would know once and for all that I am the real deal. 
So when I talk about a zero waste lifestyle, I'm actually living it. When I first introduced the concept of a 2000 watt society, I took the time to analyze my own lifestyle to see if I was actually living within that concept. When I published my episode that's titled, How Much Should One Person Be Allowed to Use? You can rest assured that I maximize the use of my resources that I have and I use as little as possible. But what I want to do is to give my listeners a bit of an in-depth perspective and where I came from and why I chose to live the way that I do. Now, I was born in North Georgia, and I spent a great deal of my childhood on on the family farm. And there were actually two working farms in my family. And both sets of my grandparents lived through the Great Depression. And this, of course, had a huge impact on how my parents were raised. So growing up, they seemed to pass that experience along to myself and my siblings. I spent a great deal of my summers working on one farm or the other. We always had a huge garden. We raised chickens, turkeys, rabbits, cattle, horses, and pigs. Then at home, we also had a large garden. And oftentimes, if we could not produce enough food for ourselves, we would then go to the local farmer's market and purchase vegetables by the bushel. And then, literally, we would spend days cutting, washing, blanching, steaming, and canning vegetables. And when it came to meat, I remember, you know, my parents would purchase a whole beef from one of my grandparents, and this was more than enough to stock the freezers that we had. And besides this, we even went on fishing trips for several days at a time, and we would often come back with 50 or more fish and set up an assembly line for processing, then the fish, of course, went into the freezer. But we also had foraging trips to collect berries and nuts, and wild blackberries were abundant. Walnut trees were plentiful, and my grandparents even had numerous apple trees so that we could harvest apples and can them. And at one point, I do remember My mother actually spent um, several years working for a supermarket and consequently we we would sometimes get discount goods. But other than that, I have no memory of actually eating store bought meat until I moved away from home. So I ended up in Colorado in 1979, which was actually, it was more or less a, a random choice. But I wanted to move out of the South, and Colorado was, um, like I said, just a random choice. I initially started working construction, then I went into the computer industry, and after about six years of that, I went into fire department work and search and rescue work, as well as some other things, and it was about 1983 when I bought my first cabin in the mountains above Boulder, And it was at this point that I started getting back to making efforts to be as self-sufficient as possible. 
So it was about six years later, um, roughly about 1989, I sold that place and moved to Northern Colorado to continue my, my education. And eventually I went into veterinary school. But during all of that time, I was constantly outdoors, hiking, climbing, backpacking, doing survival training and practicing my skills. I also started learning as much as possible about home canning, drying fruit, and learning even more about processing my own meat. And all the while, looking, looking, and looking for a piece of property that I could purchase and build my own cabin. So I had been out of veterinary school about six months or so when a long-term friend of mine called me and said he had just purchased 37 acres of land, which he loved, and there was another parcel of land for sale that was close to his property, and it was 46 acres. At the time, I was actually working in Arizona, and you know, to make a long story short, I flew back to Colorado to see the property. I didn't have near the amount of money the owner wanted up front, so he declined my offer. So I went back to Arizona and just promptly forgot about it. About six months later, I resigned my position in Arizona and I moved back to Colorado. So I asked my friend Jim if the property was still on the market and he said yes it was. So I met with the owner again and made him another offer which um, happily he accepted. So after giving him my down payment, I had enough money in the bank to make the first payment and then I was completely tapped out. So needless to say, I purchased this piece of property that I really loved, but it was truly done without too much forethought and planning. Not to mention the fact, at the time I had no job and I had no offers for employment. However, in less than a week, I scored a full-time position with a, uh, a local specialty hospital doing emergency work. I was to start work in about three weeks, which was perfect, because that gave me enough time to figure out how I was going to live on the property. Because initially, my land payments were kind of steep, and I could not afford, there was no way I could afford to pay rent and make the land payment. And because it was simply raw land, there were no structures on the property at all. So I kind of had to think fast and be very creative. Not only did I have to figure out how to live on this property, I had to start construction on a cabin right away. So initially, Believe it or not, I was living out of my backpacking tent, which was set up under this relatively large lean-to type structure. And this eventually turned into a 200 square foot wall tent, complete with a wood stove. And meanwhile, I started selectively harvesting timber off the property and started construction on the log cabin. This took me about five months to build the initial portion of the cabin and I moved into the cabin the first part of February in 1997. So at this point, 
I had been living in a wall tent for five months at 10,000 feet elevation in the winter. And even after moving into the cabin, I had no electricity or running water. And after experimenting with numerous things, I eventually installed some propane lights. And during my second winter at the cabin, I started excavating for a cellar because I needed to weigh, needed a way to refrigerate food, keep it from freezing, and of course, it keep it away from the wildlife, especially the bears. And oh, all of my up close and personal encounters with bears and mountain lions early on is a, it's a completely different story. So my plan was to build a cellar, then put an addition on the back of the cabin, which was on the north side. And the addition was to go over the top of the entrance to the cellar so that I could access the cellar from inside the cabin. So while cellar construction was underway, I was also harvesting logs, peeling them and stacking them to dry so that I could build an addition on the cabin during um, the better time of the year. So then about a year later, I it took me about, I think, three to four months to build the addition of the cabin once I had all of the materials harvested. And I have to tell you, that was a tremendous amount of heavy physical labor. I was actually eating six large meals a day and I was still losing weight. It was, I think it was shortly after this that I put in my first albeit very small solar array and I finally felt as if I was slowly creeping into the 20th century. Now you do have to understand that there was a number of years there at the cabin when my life was really very very difficult. I would I would sometimes leave for about six months in the winter and go and go to work back in Arizona because life was much easier for a few months. And also, I did not have a four-wheel drive vehicle at the time, so much less a snowplow, and I was hiking in and out a lot. So I would take breaks from my lifestyle and go somewhere warm for a bit and make as much money as I could, and then I would return to the property. Eventually, I actually purchased a second home, which was in South Carolina, and I had gotten licensed in a couple states in the south and was going down to work on a regular basis and just spending time with family because all of my family still lived in Tennessee, Georgia and in South Carolina. And also at the time, my parents were aging. They were having health problems. So I truly wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. And uh, that's what really drove my decision to spend time in South Carolina and go back and forth and in the end when my parents both my parents passed away I was really happy that I had taken the time to spend with them so eventually my longtime partner Annette uh, moved down into the house with her son so all this time I was going back and forth to the cabin and constantly working on various projects I think it was about six years into having this house that, you know, my father had passed away some time ago, and then my mother died as well. 
So it was about this time that Annette finished her undergraduate degree and I put the house in South Carolina on the market and then Annette got offered a job with a university in St. Kitts. So about two years prior to this, however, I had already started construction on a second cabin. But you also, you have to understand that while in South Carolina, we had a large garden, we did a lot of canning, drying of fruits and vegetables, freezing, and we were also raising our own chickens for both meat and eggs. But over a period of several years, we had slowly been putting things into place to make huge improvements at the cabin and to make it much easier for all three of us to live there. And while we were as self-sufficient as we could be in South Carolina, we truly wanted to move back to the cabin on a full-time basis and be completely off the grid again, as well as raise as much of our own food as possible. So while Annette spent um, quite a bit of time out of the country over a two-year period, I finished the new cabin, built a new storage shed, a large woodshed, a chicken barn, a 600-square-foot earth-sheltered greenhouse, and then I also took an extensive hands-on class in solar design and installed a 1.7 kilowatt array at the cabin. And since both of the cabins had been previously wired and connected together, then both of the structures could run off of the same electrical array. So that is more or less the basic story of how we came to live off the grid as a family. We still raise our own chickens and turkeys. The cellar is packed with home canned goods and we have an extensive garden every single year. Everything we have is run off of solar energy. Our food, wood, and propane supply is sufficient to last us several years if that's really truly what we needed. But we do this so that we are not subject to huge fluctuations in the market and what is going on in the economy and most recently, of course, the pandemic. We can easily sit back and purchase things in bulk at significant discounts. We have the ability to produce a significant amount of our own food and this, of course, gives us a lot of personal security as well. So basically, we produce all of our own electricity. We have a composting septic system. We have direct access to a stream for water and we produce purified water for less than two cents a gallon. And we produce, process, can and store a significant amount of our own food. We literally use 80% less resources than the average American family. You know, and I figured out that our greatest environmental impact that we have is really our gas consumption due to the amount of commuting that we do, which is one of the downsides of living in the middle of nowhere. And once I figured this out, I got creative and reduced my commuting by somewhere between 50 and 60%. And additionally, we make a lot of our own products at home, such as laundry detergent, dish soap, personal soap, shampoo bars. And as we learn more, 
our list keeps getting longer and longer of all the things we no longer purchase at the supermarket. And the plan for this year is to add a 200 square foot sunroom on the south facing side of the new cabin so that we can take advantage of all the passive solar and hopefully significantly reduce our consumption of wood. But we are also going to add several more solar panels so that we have the ability to once again run our food dehydrators. So that's yet another way to preserve and store food. But you wanna know what's really interesting? I have been living like this for almost 25 years and I am still learning. Once I started this podcast, I also started reading and researching so many other things that I'd never even thought about before. I also learned that despite how I lived, I still had an impact on the environment. So I keep learning more and more ways to reduce my environmental impact and to live as sustainably as possible. So the point here is that living sustainably is a process, not an endpoint. It is a lifestyle choice that you choose. It is more akin to a journey and not simply a destination. And as you can see, I have been on such a journey for almost 25 years. Now, I of course, I have no expectation that everyone should live the way that I choose. But all you have to do is decide to make one little change at a time. And if you did so, imagine how different your life would be five years from now. So if you listened to my last episode that was titled The Keystone Life of Coral, you know that the changes in our oceans and the threat to our environment due to the loss of the world's coral reefs is a very real threat. But you see, it's not about the coral anymore. It's about the condition of our entire planet. In fact, it's about the fate of the next generation. Yet, the world continues to hurtle toward that cliff, passing the sign that says danger, cliff ahead, And we look at each other and say, well, it just hasn't happened yet. And you know, Annette and I talked the other day about making some changes in our lives, but this is something we talk about quite frequently. But we also are in the process of putting together some some classes and workshops on sustainability, as well as health and wellness. And we are kind of at this tipping point where we are going to force some things to change with our present careers in order to have a lifestyle that is much, much closer to what we want to be doing and how we want to live. But when we were talking about this, Annette said something to me that I thought was really important. And this is the final thought I want to leave you with in this episode. And I hope this will encourage you to make some changes in your life. And here's what she said to me. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So what this means is that the things in your life that you are frustrated about 
are never going to change unless you take the first step to make some changes yourself. The same thing is true with sustainability. You are never going to live a more sustainable life unless you take the necessary steps to make some changes. You simply cannot focus on what the rest of the world is doing. You have to take the first steps completely on your own. At least after this episode, you now know that I do in fact practice the things that I teach. I do not simply research topics on the internet that I know nothing about and then try and teach it from the aspect of being an expert. For example, you know, I talked extensively about coral because I'm an active scuba diving instructor and I actually see and experience those changes in the coral reefs. I see the impact of trash and human activity and I see the impact of the wasteful lifestyle that most of us have. And as I was recently relating to one of my acquaintances, you had better learn the skills of sustainability because in the not too distant future, you might not have a choice. So this is my closing thought here. Nothing changes if nothing changes. This is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably because this is how we build a better future.